0: There are a number of ways that insights can arise. Um, impermanent Insights into impermanence is a very important central one. It's not the only one. For example, if you uh, come here and you, you're meditating and you realize, you start to notice that, for example, maybe, wow, it's hard for me not to control the breath. Maybe you hadn't noticed that before. Hmm, what's, with, what, what's going on with this? You feel more deeply into it. Maybe you realize uh, there's, there's some fear or there's a place that I feel like I have to control a lot of things in life, Or, for example. Uh, and then you start to uh, unwind those patterns, maybe find some freedom from and That's an insight. It's not an insight into impermanence, but it, you see it's an insight into ways that, you know, certain uh, condition patterns, ways that create difficulty or suffering a lot of ways insights can arise. Insight into impermanence is uh, emphasized a lot. I think it'd be hard to overstate how much it's emphasized in the early Buddhist texts. If we are, I think, if we're to have any hope, any chance, of coming to um, happiness, then we we have to find a way to come to terms or to make peace with life comes to terms to to meet life on its own terms right you may have noticed that um life <laughs> you know it's not going to it's it's not asking your opinion right of of it just goes along in its own way and it's of course we can influence and and uh We do our best to set up conditions that are supportive and that make our life work. And in the end, uh, you get what you get. And you know, you could think of the whole Dharma as, what are you gonna do with you get what you get? You know, how are we gonna be in a simple way with life as it is, right? Not our struggles with or our battles with how we wish it was or think it should be, right? So that's one way to think about it. One, uh, an important aspect of the way life is, is that every experience, everything, uh, every experience we can have, including our our own being, it's impermanent, right? Um, And so this is an important place to pay attention to and tend to Th- we've been working using a structure of the anapanasati sutta these 16 steps these four tetrads and um, you know that we had the first tetrad which was about uh, just bringing mindfulness to breathing awareness opens into the body and tranquilizing the body and gil summarized some of that uh, this morning and then it opens up to this, uh, this joy and then a sense of well-being or happiness and then calming uh, what called mental formations, a lot of mental activity. Um, and then last night Gil talked about the third tetrad that was really emphasizing, uh, use the term mind, but uh, sort of the um, attitudes of mind that we bring to meet whatever's happening and we come to know the mind, right? And there were some steps in you know, gladdening the mind, and you'll use the word composure, which I like a lot. I tend to use undistracted for samadhi, but I like composure uh, a lot. Compose, uh, and then liberating the mind. (coughs) So now, uh, as we move into the fourth tetrad, um, uh, the first contemplation is breathing in and out, contemplating, impermanence you know we've we've said a little bit about the range of ways that people understand and practice and teach around this structure and some sometimes people will say oh this structure is all about uh, stages of, of getting concentrated and you and 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 you've got to have these specific stages of concentration and that's what it's talking about and then other people will say no 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 it's really Yes, that's parts in there, but it's really emphasizing insight through the whole thing, and I think I'm kind of in the middle. It seems like both parts come together, and of course, it's in the spirit of what, uh, of what we've been talking about here, and that you don't have to get anything right. You don't have to get concentrated. You don't have to get anything, but we want to bring some stability of mind and some clarity of awareness, and then this is guiding and how. So it's the it's the samadhi part, but also the insight part, all the way through. But this last tetrad is, I think it's pretty explicit that it's really now, after um, um, all that we've done and where we've gotten, it's really emphasizing what it's really all about, is is, is freedom or liberation. And so we find ourselves very um, squarely in the realm of insight, so pretty explicit. The first contemplation is, Breathing in and out, uh, contemplating impermanence. So, here in California, um, the way that uh, driver's licenses are issued is that they're issued uh, every five years, you have to renew your driver's license. And so, you go down to the Department of Motor Vehicles, and you, I don't know if you have to take a test every time, whatever, but you pay your fee. And they take your picture, and then a few weeks later in the mail, there's your driver's license. So, okay, yep, look at the picture, yep, that's me. And the way they did it for me was, I don't know if they still do this, uh, first five years came along, and I said, well, you can just renew by mail. You didn't have to go in and get a new picture. So, okay, send off my money. A few weeks later, a, a new expiration date, same picture, comes back. Second five years did the same thing by mail. The third five years, it had been 15 years now, they said, uh, um, we need to come in, you know, to get a new picture. So, okay, go in and get the picture, and no big deal, didn't give it another thought. And I've been looking at the same picture for 15 years, and yep, that's me. (laughs) Right? New driver's license come in the mail, no big deal. Open up the envelope, take out the old one, Going to. Chop, cut up, get the old, the, the, take out the new one, take out the old one. Who's that old guy? <laughs> I look in the mirror. Who's that old guy looking back at me in the mirror? It's like, you know, I just, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> Where did my youth go? What happened? It really struck me, right? because it was just dramatic, right? And then, kind of along the same vein, um, uh, there's a couple of different websites I tend to go to for, uh, get my news. That was, I can't remember which one of was, one of the major news websites. And mostly I just pay attention to just keeping up with what's mainly happening, but, you know, every once in a while there'll be something like, I don't know, some old TV show. Where are they now, right? I'm not that particularly interested, but I just happened to, just a few weeks ago, I clicked on one. I don't know what, remember what it was, like Love Boat or one of those shows from, the, I can't even remember. I don't even know the shows. But, uh, and it showed like their picture when they were on the show, and now. And everyone, without exception, you know, they were there and they, you know, the women, they, they were models, right? And now there's some old lady or some old man. I'm not, I don't mean in any disparaging way. I'm in the camp myself, (laughs) right? We know intellectually, don't we all know? If I were to say, I'm saying to you, I'm asking you now, uh, are you aware that um, uh, nothing lasts? Every one of us would say, well, yeah, yeah, of course. We know it intellectually. Uh, the problem is we don't live our lives as if it's true. But uh, every day, every moment, life is, it's letting us know. And it's not doing anything wrong, you know. That old guy in the mirror, when I, and I've lost my youth and my vigor and all of that, you know. And let me tell you, there's, uh, as I've gotten, so as I look around some of you, I'm a little older, a lot older than, some I'm younger than as I've gotten older, so I'm getting ready to turn 61. Um, More and more days I'll wake up, something just hurts for no apparent reason. Nothing's going wrong. Don't we know this is what happens to bodies? And I eat organic vegetables. And I, I actually, as I'm getting older, more and more I'm, I'm working out. I'm a, I belong to a gym and I go in, you know, more and more uh, um, just to try and, you know, I was joking with someone. I said, well, you know, nature's trying to kill me and I'm trying to fend it off here, right? So uh, I'm just kind of joking, haha. Well, um, you know, so I'm doing, I, th- I think I'm living like a pretty wholesome, healthy lifestyle. So it's all good. I think I'm doing fine. Exercise, I I eat well, don't smoke, all that stuff. I meditate, stress reduction. Uh, And, you know, that face in the mirror keeps changing. So these contemplations on impermanence, impermanence are not, the purpose is not to make us morose or, you know, grim or to scare us, right? When we start to reflect on impermanence, you know, and, and it can really feel because you know Buddhism's it's worse than that, right? Buddhism's what what if this is not actually accurate on what the Buddha said, but what most people think the Buddha said was life is suffering. It's not quite accurate. And it, but uh so then it's like, well nothing's gonna last, and whatever is here is just all suffering anyway while it's here. You know, it can feel kind of grim, but that's not uh what's being pointed to. It's, Buddhism is, is actually, the Dharma I should say, is asking us just to take an honest look at how things are. That's all. And then the, the journey that we're on, the question or the discovery is, can we find a way to be at peace in the midst of just, just the reality of how things are? So that's uh, what uh, impermanence, these contemplations are asking us to do. And it's in service of this liberation. We'll talk about that more in just a bit. So, when you're walking around here, uh, you'll notice that um, there's some newer plants growing there. We're getting towards uh, autumn now. So, uh, you know, you'll see some greenery but, you know, lots of dead leaves there too. Some trees look like they're younger. Some are kind of older, and they're kind of teetering over, gonna, uh, gonna fall over, and uh, uh, some are, are down, or now and the log is rotten and everything. The, the uh, opportunity to contemplate impermanence uh, is all around us all the time, right? But we sometimes, oftentimes don't notice Maybe we don't want to notice or we just don't because we're just uh you know, just immersed or engaged in the process of our lives. That's that's fine. That's what we're all doing as human beings. You know, we've got our plans, we've we use you know what we're you know, the directions we want to head, what we want to do, and we're just engaged in that. And sometimes we can miss, and that's okay, but we can miss what's right before us every moment. And so Um, one of the ways that you can, uh, I'll offer also that you can contemplate impermanence is you don't even have to go anywhere, right here in the hall. It's easy. And you can see not only what I'm about to say is is it an opportunity to contemplate impermanence, but by doing so, see if it helps you. So you may have noticed that um, every single experience, n- no experience that you've had here, has lasted. It's always changed. Isn't that true? Is there anyone here who has had an experience from when you showed up here in opening evening um, and nothing shifted or changed? Even some people who have talked to me about really dealing with some chronic issues, say around pain, for example. So there does seem to be a continuity there at least the people I've spoken with have some real, and we want to be respectful about that, you know, uh, for sure, it's not seeming like it's changing that much, but it's still, everyone's coming in, it's like, oh, it's really been bad, I've been struggling, it's not going away, but then this morning it kind of let unpacked itself or it unknotted. you know. It, even those chronic conditions, you know, they, they shift and change, right? So, um, when, you know, when, um, when it's going great and you're just having the best sit ever, this is great. Then we don't like the idea of impermanence so much, you know? But when it's all seems like it's falling apart and we're struggling and we don't think we can take it, I'm not gonna make it, then the idea of impermanence likes is pretty welcome, yeah? And that goes back to this uh, one of the um, uh, in the second tetrad, the contemplations around uh, the mental formations and quieting that out. This is a lot of activity tied into this vedana of some experiences are pleasant and unpleasant, and how we're moving f- towards or backing or trying to get something or pull it or move towards it or get something away from us, and we're we're engaged in that. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it a struggle, but a, a battle a lot. And so uh, as we start to reflect, it says, well, guess what? Your, your me- and, I, and I've actually said this before. Uh, your meditation didn't fall apart. Nothing went wrong. It changed. And we know ahead of time. So I'm starting from now for the rest of the retreat. Let me tell you. So you'll know ahead of time, it's going to change. But it's not only not a bad thing; we can actually—that's the—that's our doorway. That's the right into the compli- uh, contemplation there, right? So if we can have enough mindfulness, this is why we need to develop steadiness of mind, the samadhi, and why we need to develop um, the the clarity of mindfulness, uh, 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 brighten the strengthen the mindfulness and the clarity of of our clear com- comprehending or knowing, is so then rather than fall into our automatic habitual reactive patterns, that we have enough presence to, to, ins- uh, to know, it changed. And now it's this. And this is going to change. And then to f- start to learn, how am I in relationship to that? Okay, that's the first contemplation. The second contemplation then is um breathing in and out we contemplate fading away uh you don't need to know any of this pali but the pali word viraga and i looked up (coughs) um, several different definitions that i could find and so um so various translators brought in different in English, these words have different connotations, right? But just get a sense of some of this for this fading away, dispassion, detachment, non-attachment. Fading away, dispassion, detachment, non-attachment for this the word that for this contemplation, viraga. Well, there's a real. I want to. Uh, different connotations here, different senses there. So we want to spend just a bit of time on this. But let's just stay with fading away then. What is it that fades away? We can think of this as a progression because the insight into impermanence is not just for its own sake, it's in service really of of this liberation of mind, right? And so, um, uh, what is it that fades away? Well, you could say what fades away uh, in, in the reflection on impermanence is um, um, that process I just named of this pleasant, unpleasant, and, and the battles and that, that whole uh, mental fabrication process. Um, or you could say uh, our attachments to things start to drop away more. There's a, a f- my mother's home. There's a photo of me. I must have been about five years old. I was born in 1952, so this was in the, just in the 50s, and uh, I had a cowboy costume. And of course, I was five years old, adorable. And I'm there with, I got my hat, vest, um, boots and spurs, chaps, um, holster and my two pistols. And it was pretty cute for sure. I have a vague memory, very vague memory of, of that cowboy suit and my vague memory was I thought I was the coolest thing in the world. And not only that, I thought if anybody saw me in that costume, they would think I was the coolest thing in the world, right? When I got to be older, say a teenager, <clears throat> You know, I just wasn't into the cowboy outfit so much anymore. I didn't have to do anything; it it just dropped away. Well, what happened? Well, my whole as you get older, right? My whole perception, my whole way I viewed myself, and it just shifted. I had kind of a different shift in perception, and something old that that captured my attention dropped away, right? That's kind of what we're talking about if we really can get it about impermanence. Things that capture our attention can start to loosen our grip. For example, um, I use an example if you're meditating, you happen to be having a a, a particularly pleasant time. And we start to find that um, the place of of that letting go, uh, or of that fading away of those attachments, actually is more deeply satisfying than the experience itself, because it's like it's letting go, and uh, right, it loosens its grip. Some. Here's another way that I I uh, want to share with you that another that I think it talks about what fades away. If we can get it about impermanence, this is a quote from uh, uh, my second. Great teacher, actually, I don't know. He might be still alive. If any of you live in Santa Cruz, is Hari Das still around? Any of you know? So I started anyway. You maybe don't know who he was. He it was just in more of a Hindu yoga tradition. In my first few years, I moved into the Buddhist world, kind of in the mid '70s. When I started, I was lived in an ashram for a few years in in the early '70s. So, this, so it's it's not quite Buddhist language, but I think he really gets to the heart of something here. So this is Hari Das. <coughs> We live our entire existence from this point of view, seeking those things, situations, and people that make us happy, and avoiding those things that make us unhappy. But even when conditions seem ideal to us, there is always that nagging certainty somewhere in our minds that the situation will eventually change, that the security and happiness of the moment will ultimately be lost. In truth, we are never totally at peace, there was always something to be anxious about. Ordinary life is really a constant dilemma. So you have to see if that lands for you or not. Um, it, it did for me. <clears throat> and so one of the things that can happen when we, if, 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 we, if we don't have other supporting factors when we, when we uh, um, contemplate impermanence, when um, the equanimity is not strong, it can scare us. Say. And we need to respect that then and, and not get overwhelmed, right? But if our, if, we can have, if our minds can be more quiet, our hearts more open, maybe we have more of this equanimous attitude, uh, we're able to, as Goenka said, we're a, when we can accept, so really get it deeply, uh, that things just change, and that's how it is, then this uh, fading away of all those struggles starts to happen. But I think we need to be careful here a little bit because fading away has a certain connotation. Uh, here's another one, dispassion and detachment. Let me talk about those two for just a moment. So to be dispassionate can have a sense of, of you know, we could have a connotation of I'm sort of so cooled out, untouched maybe, right? I'm I'm not, nothing, nothing touches me. Well, what is dis- What is it to be, first of all, passionate, right? What is to be caught in the passions? Well, if any of you have ever been, um, oh, I don't know, say you've ever uh, been in love. Some of you may have, maybe not, but just as an example. You know, you meet someone new and maybe it's all exciting and, you know, you just love everything about them and then maybe, I don't know, two three months later, that intensity of passion maybe settles out. It doesn't mean you don't go to a deeper love or it get maybe more rich, but that initial kind of thing can, for some, many people settle out. And who knows, maybe even some of the things that you used to find endearing are now actually annoying. It can happen, yeah? What's changed? Well, the um, I'm not saying being annoyed is a clearer perception than, than being enamored, but my po- so the analogy kind of breaks down. But but my point is, um, what's changed is our perception of things is colored. We weren't actually seeing things just clearly because of the passion. So to be dispassionate is just not to be, um, you know, swept away by the passion. So we actually be clear and present about things. So that's more of a equanimity is really the sense there, yeah? So this fading away, this de-passion, so, uh and you can see how our suffering, if we could really rest more in this state of being, we are happier. Right? And our happiness is not completely at the mercy of circumstances. And it's more about how we are being with what our relationship is all right, with what's happening. Right. We, our happiness is more than that. Well, here's another uh, one, detachment. Now detachment's a little tricky. I, I think it's a perfectly fine word, but it can, that detached can have a sense of being disconnected, right? Detached. It also can have a connotation of equanimity. But, um, just, just imagine if there's someone who's near and dear to you, if you're fortunate enough to have such a person in your life. If you were to say to that person, I'm detached from you, I don't know, I just have a sense that might not go over so well. <clears throat> if you were to say, I'm not clinging to you, you know, they'd probably appreciate that. In a different sense, right? So when we hold this sense of detachment, especially when we think about some of these other uh, uh, other translations of viraga, fading away, dispassion, detachment, non-attachment, it's not a disconnecting. And in fact, what is it we're doing here <clears throat> when we meditate? You know, a few of you may be meditating with your eyes open, but I think mostly I don't know if we actually said close your eyes, but most of us do. And we're, because we're bringing our attention inward to connect more deeply with our own minds and bodies. Not only that, we're talking about developing concentration. So we're actually going to be more present and brightening or strengthening mindfulness and the clarity. So we're really magnifying it. In some ways, you can think of it as, you know, turning your mind into a powerful microscope. Or a powerful telescope where you can see, even or perceive, experience even more. So we're not disconnecting from ourselves. We're actually doing the opposite. We're connecting, but this word that, um, that I've been used already a few times and, and I really personally like particularly a lot, but it's about a disentanglement, right? Not a disconnection, right? So that's what's happened that um, our attachments start to drop away with this viraga. And then, so we have breathing in and out, we contemplate impermanence. Breathing in and out, uh, we contemplate fading away. And then the the next, so this is the 15th, the third contemplation in this tetrad. Breathing in and out, uh, we contemplate cessation. So we have to talk about that just for a bit. This is not talking about extinction, like a cessation of your existence or something like that. I was talking about, so what is the cessation? Um, well, I see these three contemplations as a, just a continuation. Um, there is contemplation of impermanence, which leads to a fading away or a dispassion, it's kind of a, a, lessening, a lessening, a dropping away of everything that captured our attention, right? That enchanted us. And so that we let go of the struggles around things, we're more able to, to be with things, let them be in their own way. That's the fading away. And then that process just comes to a, a completion it's a cessation or a fading away of, you could say of your suffering, or you could say of that process of mental fabrication. You know this mental fabrication, I'll just go back for a few moments, it's, it's very interesting because the way I think of it is, in a, in a way, figuratively speaking, maybe literally, I don't know, we, in a sense we create these realities for ourselves. We create realities and we don't know that we're creating a reality. We don't even see it. And then we inhabit that reality. We don't realize it's a self-created experience. And and I'm not, I don't mean an ontology like are we literally creating this into existence, but our experience is what I'm talking about. And I'll just give you give you an example. Once I was, some of you know it, there's a, one of the major Vipassana retreat centers is in Barrie, Massachusetts, IMS, Insight Meditation Society. And every fall they have a three-month retreat. So you can sit the whole three months or you can sit the first six weeks, second six weeks. And I was sitting the first six weeks. And, you know, so six weeks a long time. is just like this, getting more and more effort, just keep going. And really I was in this great retreat. Um... I had a guy sitting next to me in the hall. Um, his breathing was, you know, he would be, I mean, you could hear his breathing, right? Everybody's quiet in the whole place, but I had the breather next to me, is what I nicknamed him, so I had the breather. And um, so, you know, I'd be sitting and, you know, we, well, I know the instructions, you know, you just be present with what is, you just note hearing, hearing, and it, I, I've heard it all, but you know, I'm falling into aversion. Doesn't he know? What kind of yogi is this? I mean, he must be able to hear it himself. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's like everybody else in the whole place can hear it. Clearly just has no consideration for anyone. On and on and on. And I had a whole story about this guy and it wasn't pretty. And soon I noticed I didn't like the way he walked. And it looked like he hadn't changed his socks in two days. I'm paying attention to him. Of course, what am I doing then? Where's my mindfulness for myself, you know? He's a bad yogi, but what was I doing? I'm just caught up in judging. And anyway, on and on like this. And uh, so I worked with it the best way I can, but I had this kind of aversion would come up. And I had a whole story about this guy because I could just, you could tell. It all was a creation out of just hearing the sound of his breathing and then through my aversion, other realities I'd created and had a little story about him. And he looked a certain way, so obviously he's a whatever, right? <laughs> Never met him in my life. Then, um, <clears throat> uh, because the, ret- the three-month retreat is going on, And the six week people, which I don't know, was maybe half the retreat or a third, I can't remember, a big chunk of us left and a new group was coming in. So we all would leave and they did a little integration to do some, take a day or two and start to go away from the other retreatants, but where we could talk a little and just because, you know, we're going back out into daily life. And we all went around and um, this guy shared and he said, he was really had a lot of trouble on this retreat because he had some kind of, either had an injury or congenital, pro- congenital problem. And he knew that when he, I, you know, it just really, I have a lot of pain about all the, by hatred. You know, when I think about it, even to this day, that was many years, 15 years ago, I still have this, uh, it's painful about my, my mind and heart of hate. And here's this guy who um, and he was so sweet (laughs) he wasn't anything about the world i had created and then had what do you want to say incarnated into if you will inhabited it wasn't real at all and he even said you know and he was just worried because he knows that when he breathes in and out it makes the sound and he was just so worried that he was going to disturb some of the yogis and of course we're all like no 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 (laughs) you know (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, I could tell you many stories like this, right? And I hadn't even, you know, it was so obvious what was happening in my mind, but this is an example of uh, how we create, there's so many different ways, but we get this idea of, as we start to have these contemplations and there's this letting go that happens around it, and then how we, um, uh, it, the suffering, it's, 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 a, it's a letting go of these attachments, and then our fading of the attachments, and then, um, uh, a cessation. We can come to a place where um, um, it stops. Right. And so then it leads us into the, uh, the last, the 16th contemplation. And it's a, uh, I do have the poly word here. I, it's a kind of a long tongue twister, so I won't uh, give it to you, but uh, relinquishment. Breathing in and out you contemplate relinquishment. But let me give you some more um, uh, translations. I looked up, I have about seven or, or so here. Relinquishment, abandonment, <clears throat> giving up, renunciation, forsaking, rejection, letting go. I just want to name a couple of these because you might run across them in here. Is it, so, I like uh, a letting go, is I, or maybe a relinquishment, or a letting go has a nice feel for me. Uh, I don't know. This is another word. I I don't know the etymology of this words. Again, I'm relying on the translators. But um, just from an experiential point of view, as a as a practitioner, this idea of what's the connotation of force of rejecting something. Um you know, uh, that has, you know, it's kind of a, it can have an aversive tone to it, depending on how that word lands for you, right? So you have to kind of see, but, but I think the real sense here is more, so we don't want to fall into that. It's not like, well, I see just the empty uselessness of life. You know, we've already put a kind of a, a gloomy, uh, filter on things, it may be subtle, right? No. It's actually what I said in the beginning. Coming to we're letting life be in its own way. And so this letting go. Uh, so we came to a cessation of that pr- one way to think of the cessation was then we came to cessation of that mental formations or cessations of the struggling of creating suffering. And then we come to a, a place finally of a letting go, but a real profound letting go. And this comes to this idea then of, of sometimes the goal of Dharma is talked about as being a liberation through non-clinging and a deep place of either non-clinging or you could say of letting go. And um, I think it was Joseph Goldstein who tells the story of one meditator when he was teaching retreat. <laughs> one of the yogis came in for the interview and said to joseph that he had this realization that clinging is like rope burn so there's just this flow of of experience right even our own being what what's the nature of our own being it's a changing flow of conscious of experience right Not really look as we examine you know, that's part of what we do. We're plumbing the depths of our being. Um, you know, you really, it's almost like there's, you don't hit a bottom there, and you just come to see more and more of what we do cling to. It's like the body, going back to what I said earlier. You know, we want to we uh, be connected with our bodies in a wholesome sense, in a wise, discerning sense but clinging to the body is not a good strategy for attaining happiness. Yeah? It's not a good strategy for attaining happiness. Clinging to anything is not a good strategy for attaining happiness. Now sometimes uh, it's hard to let go of something. And we know we're clinging. We know it. We see that it's us creating the suffering clear as can be and there's something that's not ready or willing to let go yet. Right? And um, um, I can give you an example of this. When um, I was out of town last week and I came back into town um, on Sunday, flew into the San Francisco airport and um when I was driving home, there was a San Francisco 49ers. The football game was getting out. And so San Francisco Airport, for those of you who live local, it goes by Candlestick Park there. It's a big traffic jam. And I've been away from home for a week, teaching, a, off teaching a retreat, and, uh, and I, I wanted to get home. I have a six-year-old son, I missed him. Right? Uh, okay. On top of the massive traffic jam, then coming over the Bay Bridge, there was, a, listening to the traffic report on the radio, there was a stall in the right-hand lane. I think it took me an hour to go um, uh, um, like a mile. And here I am, so I've been meditating 43 years. I've had a few experiences. You know, you get in Samadhi, you're merging in oneness with all beings, you have insights, and you know, I've had a lot of experience. I'm sitting in the car, pissed off. <laughs> you know, what, what good did my samadhi do me then? Because it's not, I'm not, I, I, you know, later I finally realized, you know, it's okay. I'm, this isn't bad. I'm just sitting in the car. The problem was, I think I'm supposed to be somewhere else. Right? And then, so it took me about 10 minutes, but in the first 10 minutes, I knew it. That was just making me more mad. But, and plus, there was no one to blame. <laughs> it's just what was happening. So, I mean, I was just tied up in a little bit. of it. I wasn't, I'm exaggerating. A little, but it wasn't, I was annoyed. I was. And then finally, you know, as I decided, all right, I, that's enough suffering. Some part of me decided that something could let go. So we can have, these things can happen. Hopefully over time, much less. Yeah. Or much deeply lost when it does. But it can happen. So sometimes that idea of clinging like rope burn because life goes on. Right? What's the world? This small world spinning through space and our daily lives, they're so real and big and important and they are. But it's all moving, changing, flowing kind of in one level in an impersonal way. And so part of it is can we learn to rest in the the stream of life? I have a, um, a, a a drawing at home that I love. <clears throat> I don't own much art, but I, I love this one. I've had for many years. And it shows, in the bottom, there's all these jaggedy, dark, rough, jagged edges and pyramids all sticking up. It's all jaggedy. And then there's a rainbow, and then there's a bird sitting on the rainbow. And then the the, the there's a little quote, it just says, um, Zen bird rides a rainbow over the rough edges of the world. And it's just so lovely. And In a way it's kind of, you can think of it as like, well that's nice, it's kind of idealistic kind of, yeah it's a nice thing. But actually I think there's a lot, it, there's some profundity there to that quote. right? Um, we don't have to wait you know, sometimes we have this idea, you know, in Buddhism they talk about nirvana or in the Sanskrit in the Pali, nibbana and boy, that's someone off in the cave for 30 years or I don't know what, but boy, it's far away from me. And um, having not reached the end of the path, I, I, I can't actually talk to you about <coughs> nibbana. However, uh, I know a few things about, uh, as we're all fellow travelers on the path, uh, I know something about uh, uh, traveling the path. And I know that I don't know what's ultimately possible for a human being, but I know we don't have to wait until it's thirty years in the cave or whatever I, our ideal is. This, the, I think the way to hold this, it comes right back into just what's real and true now. What's actually happening? And what serves us most, what's most wise and skillful then in relationship to what's happening? And if if our minds are quiet, we're equanimous. If our hearts are open, there isn't, you don't have to do anything. That's the if it ain't broke, don't fix it piece. Right? But because um, <coughs> uh, we're cultivating the clarity of our minds, we're able to see on ever more subtle levels when we really are resting in the current of non-clinging, And when we are still creating suffering or clinging some way, and then we can, as that flow of experience happens, we can learn to let go, not get the rope burn, not about our judgments, opinions, whatever, and and um, learn to uh, sort of—I don't know—it's kind of not befriend life, but at least stop the war, you know—and so. That's, maybe it's just the question in any moment, is like, um, you know, is it possible then for each of us, is that really possible to come to a, a real, I mean, really a place of peace? This is going back then, to, you know, the way things are, and that includes the impermanence. You know, it's a question for all of us to explore. Yeah, what about all this? We're doing all these practices. We're not here for no reason. Right? You know, where is it leading us? And as we're coming to the end of this talk, I just want to highlight one last piece here. Um, I think that you, I I know for a fact, some of you have told me, and, and I'm sure for everyone, that coming here, We've talked about compassion some here, but really it hasn't been the theme coming up so much. But you can't help but get the part of love and compassion and kindness and care. It's this is a field of that when you're here, you feel it, and just the whole way it's run and operated, and you know also all of the uh, retreat support people are are embodying that, and it's and it's genuine. And you know you get how Gil and I are. You know we're loving kind of guys, right? And so it's just the, and the place and everything. So hopefully you're getting the sense of, I'll just say love or compassion. But I want to highlight that just a bit um, to end because um, as, and again, I, I may have mentioned this opening night, but it bears repeating that, you know, we talk about uh, precepts and sila, which is the morality how we, you know, living and act wise and skillful uh, actions is often considered to be foundational in Buddhist teachings or in Dharma practice. Right? And then, because, you know, if you're acting in ways that create suffering, you know, you certainly, if you go off to meditate, your mind's not going to settle down, that's for sure. So, you know, we build a foundation of, of, of um, wholesome, right, good action we do the best we can. We don't have to be perfect. And then, But I think, and this is not the Buddha, it's just me, that, uh, uh, but I really feel that more foundational than Sila is self-compassion. And I say that because if we're not able to hold ourselves with that kind heart, even when we take on Sila, we can be beating ourselves up and tearing ourselves down. Even though we have a sincere intention, which is beautiful, to non-harming, and not stealing, and not causing suffering around sexuality, and wise speech, and not, not getting our minds all in crazy states with intoxicants, or whatever it is, that's wonderful. But if, I, if we don't have kindness for ourselves, it's not hard to find where you fall short. Right, we can all find it. We can find it ourselves, we can find it in others. Right? So bringing that sense of of self-compassion is so important. And if you don't know how to do that, uh, that's okay. Uh, One of the things also that you may have noticed, and if not, I really want to point this out, it's so important, it's really good news. You don't have to be any good at any of what we're talking about here. You don't have to have any skill at all. I mean, none. I mean, nobody's really none, but you, you get my point. So if this was, let's say, I don't know, um, music camp, <clears throat> and so this was the piano room, and if you never played a piano in your life, and you came in, would you have an expectation, first of all, or would you be judging yourself because you weren't any good at playing the piano? Probably not course not. You never played one before. So first of all, you don't have the judgment. Second of all, even with having no ability at all, isn't it true that they would give you a simple song? I don't know, it'd be Mary Had a Little Lamb or something. You'd dink around on the keys. You'd keep, pretty soon, you could kind of play it. You went from no ability whatsoever and you gained some facility, some fluency. And then depending on your interest you could put more time in and you could take it actually quite far and you know we may not all become you know world famous concert masters but certainly every one of us could actually get to even at, a, at an older age and everything uh you could get to where you could play and read some music everyone can do it starting from no ability at all so we come here on retreat. And again, I want to emphasize, I'm not saying you had, came with no ability, it's just not, it's not even possible. But you might be judging yourself in some way. And as I said the other day, and it is important, we're often not qualified, I think I said the other night, we're sometimes the least qualified to judge ourselves if we're going to. Because we're not objective, we're, we're caught in it, right? We're, we're immersed in it. So we, don't, we may not see ourselves clearly. You're an expert on how your life has experienced, but we're not always experts on if, we, if we're gonna start to judge, judge it. By the way, if you are gonna judge it, uh, something more deeply true about you is not how good or bad you're doing it, or judge you you do it, it's by your intention. That speaks much more deeply true about you, but more about that later. In other words, even if you fall flat on your face and you screw it up, and you do cause harm and suffering, you still had a, a good intention. It just blew it, that's all. Okay, it happens. You come here on retreat, um, and it's just it's so reassuring to know, I'm just glad that the, the universe works this way. Who you are, the whole package of it, is enough and you don't have to be different. How your body works, your conditioned patterns, how your mind works, it's totally enough because you just bring yourself here. And just by, you know, in a relaxed, easeful way, doing the best you can without, you know, getting stressed out, we all see that um, things move in a good direction. So, so, um, I say that to you so hopefully, rather than, you know, falling into, you know, forgetting about, you know, we, instead of moving forward from contemplation, uh, 13, 14, 15, you work backwards, we lose the fading away, we fade back in, you know, we fall into the struggling. We can remind ourselves and hold ourselves with compassion and kindness for the times, when we do forget and we do create suffering and we are struggling. And so I really think to end this place when we finally come to a a real profound letting go, it manifests of course in the way that some of the difficulties don't arise in our minds so much anymore because they were created by uh, the clinging the attachment and the struggles and so when those drop away we are, uh, we have less of the storm clouds of the mind are there. But on an even deeper level the letting go is actually letting the, sometimes it's letting the experience of our being be even if what's happening is it's choppy and it's difficult and all your aversion comes running, roaring up. We don't want to get identified with it. We want to let it bring it down if we can. But it's even a letting go into um, the parts of us that um, you know, maybe um, are more challenging. And you know, sometimes the letting be means we have gotta let that be and come to some kind of deep place of peace and acceptance too. So there's both parts. You know, healing it up and so it doesn't arise so much. And also a real uh, being with just who and what we are as beings without entanglement. Quiet minds and open hearts. Let's sit quietly uh, together just for a few moments.